Okay, we, we're beginning here our sixth session in the inquirer's classes, which, in which we talk about the church calendar. And for, for many people, when you talk about a church calendar, it sounds, I mean, people, especially from a more evangelical background, it sounds kind of, you know, sort of legalistic, something man-made added to sort of the pure words of the, you know, of Jesus in the New Testament, you know, the church came along and made all these, these, these feast days, and there's this idea that, that it's all the matter. They just took over pagan feasts and made them Christian feasts, and so, um, and, and I think when we get back to the origin, the biblical view of, of how observance and feasts came about, how they came into the Christian way of viewing things, we, we can understand that that's really not the proper way to look at it, and we can understand the church here is a great means of edification and instruction to faith. And, and so, let's, let's begin at the beginning. Um, if, if you look in the Bible, the whole idea of a calendar comes back in the very act of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, um, when God says, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years signs, seasons, days, years. So God made a world in which, in which time is divided into different seasons. And we, we discover quickly in the biblical revelation of the Torah that, that those seasons have specific meanings. And there's a few places where the feasts are listed in the Old Testament, but one particular place is Leviticus chapter 23. And in Leviticus um, chapter 23... God reveals himself through actions that define the year. And if you read Leviticus, there's a series of observances that are commanded. First, the Sabbath day. Now, remember, the Sabbath day goes right back to the creation ordinance. God worked for six days and took a rest. Therefore, that defines the human work week as well. You're to work six days, take a rest the Sabbath day commandment, which we spoke a little bit about the Sabbath day, we talked about the commandments, which means at least that it's a sin to be a workaholic. So if you're not taking a day off, uh, you need to repent, it's Lent, it's time to, time to get on, uh, to, to, to take a day off. Then we have uh, the, the Passover is instituted, the Passover which commemorates Israel's exodus from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt, through the Red Sea. The, the saved by the blood of the Passover lamb. So there's an annual feast called the Passover, which is a spring feast, which also, uh, we're told in the Old Testament, ties into the harvest. At the Passover is also the feast of the first fruits, where the first sheaf of grain was taken from the field and offered in the temple. So Passover had that significance as a spring feast. Fifty days after Passover was the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost. This celebrated the completion of the harvest, whereas on Passover, one sheaf of grain was offered. On Pentecost, two finished loaves of bread from the produce of the, of the, of the crop were offered. Also in the Jewish tradition, significant for the New Testament fulfillment, that the, the Feast of Pentecost commemorated the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And when we, well, we'll talk, we'll talk about this in a minute. 
Um, also, um, later on, it, well, not actually not later, but but in the fall, these are spring feasts: Passover, Pentecost, spring feasts. The fall feasts there are three. There's Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, which is the new year. Rosh Hashanah means head of the year, so, so it's the beginning of the of the year. The Feast of Trumpets, following. On the heels of that is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the day in which the one sacrifice was offered to atone for sins for the whole year. And this is described, the fulfillment of this in the light of Christ is described in great detail in the Epistle to the Hebrews. And then finally, the, the, the Feast of Sukkot, uh, booze or tabernacles. <coughs> Most... Um, most Christians will refer to this feast as tabernacles, but if you go ask a Jewish person if they're celebrating tabernacles, they'll look at you like you're, what are you talking about? They'll call it Sukkot, which was um, the celebration of the fall harvest, tree fruits, and it was an ingathering feast and the symbolism of the, the ingathering of all things at the end of time in the, new, in, the, in the light of the New Testament. Now, all these feasts take on meaning in the light, in, 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 and are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, the Sabbath rest <clears throat> is, is highlighted in the fact that the, the, the finished work of Jesus Christ, Christ finishes his work on the cross and begins a new creation, and we rest in Christ. This is a theme that's also picked up in the Epistle to the Hebrews. Um, and so we gather around the altar on the Lord's Day. And this is a, a bit of translation in the Christian tradition, which a lot of people don't quite a lot of people don't quite understand. The Ten Commandments say, remember that you keep holy the Sabbath day. Of course, the Sabbath day is Saturday. Sunday is the first day. So the Sabbath day, but in in the in light of Christ, the Christian tradition began to observe the Lord's Day because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So the church gathered together for the Eucharist on the Lord's Day to celebrate the resurrection. And um, <clears throat> what happened actually in the, in the course of history is that the early Jewish Christians observed the Saturday Sabbath and the Sunday Eucharist. As Christianity spread from Israel into the pagan world, the Old Testament Sabbath ceased to be observed, not necessarily because uh, people were opposed to it, but a lot of the, con the converts were slaves. They didn't have the ability to take Saturday off. You couldn't go say, a slave worker in the Roman Empire couldn't say to his boss, you know, <clears throat> it's the Sabbath day and, you know, I'm not supposed to work. My maidservant, my manservant, or anything is not. So, so, in other words, you couldn't do that. And, and eventually in Christian history, the significance of Saturday as Sabbath got transferred to the, to the Sunday as Lord's Day. And with the legalization of Christianity under Constantine, Sunday took on some of this Sabbath day characteristic. Um, and then in the Christian tradition, in the Reformation era, many of the Reformed bodies turned Sunday into a kind of legislated Sabbath day. <clears throat> but we should be aware that, it's, it, 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 that the Christian Sunday does not have the same legalistic connotation as the Old Testament Sabbath day. 
though. So I, I think that, as I said a minute ago, I think the, the primary injunction of the fourth commandment is take a day of rest each week. There'll always be people who will be Sabbath breakers in the sense that any given day they'll have to work. You know, is that a police retirement thing? Thank God all the police don't take that same day off. You know, it needs to be working. But they have to take a day off. So I think the combination of a day of rest and then, of course, we should honor God with our worship. So we should gather together for worship and take a day off. But anyway, the Sabbath is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Of course, the Passover is, um, is fulfilled in Jesus, the Lamb of God, whose blood saves us from slavery to sin. And Jesus, in his resurrection, is the first fruits of God's harvest of souls. So you remember, the Jews offered the first sheaf of grain. And so when the New Testament St. Paul says, Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He is thinking about the Jewish practice of offering the first sheaf of grain at Passover. That Jesus, risen from the dead on Easter Day, is the first of the harvest. And Pentecost, 50 days later, Pentecost is is the name of the Jewish feast upon which the Holy Spirit fell. The, the Holy Spirit completed the harvest of, the, of souls. So Jesus was the first fruits. With the gift of the Holy Spirit, the church participated in the resurrection because it's through the gift of the Spirit that we die to sin and rise to new life. Does that make sense? That connection between Pentecost as harvest fulfillment in Jewish tradition and the coming of the Holy Spirit, which completes the harvest that was begun at Jesus' resurrection. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, and the law, and, and also important to that, that Pentecostal fulfillment is that it was the day on which the Jews commemorated the, the giving of the law to Moses. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the law is written in our hearts. So the Holy Spirit fulfills the law also. The fall feasts, Rosh Hashanah or trumpets, the fall feasts point to the end of time. And so, our, some of our Advent-oriented themes, when St. Paul says, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise, the trumpet he's thinking about is the shofar of the day of, the, of, the, of, the, of Yom Kippur, excuse me, of Rosh Hashanah, which heralds the end. Spring, Feast of Israel, herald the beginning, the harvest, fall feasts, trumpet, the Atonement herald the end and are fulfilled in, and, and we look forward to the time of, of the second coming at the, at the, at the trumpet. Um, Sukkot, booths, tabernacles points to the final gathering of souls or harvest at the second coming of Jesus, a final ingathering. We also should note that this later Jewish feast of lights or Hanukkah it's later because it's not an Old Testament feast. The Old Testament, the events of the Old Testament end somewhere around 400 B.C., chronicled in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Also some Esther in there. Um, 
the Feast of Hanukkah is established about a, a couple hundred years, a little less than a couple hundred years before Jesus. So it's, it's, it's between the time of the end of the Old and the beginning of the New Testament. But it has correspondence to um, Christmas. How so? Hanukkah celebrated the rededication of the temple after its desecration by Antiochus Epiphanes, the wicked Syrian general who desecrated the temple, offered pig sacrifice to Zeus or something. And so when Judas Maccabeus led the revolt against him, kicked them out and rededicated the temple, which incidentally, if you're coming to your Sunday Bible class, your Sunday 915 class, Bob's get with the NT right, you get a whole, a whole aspect of that. They rededicated the temple. The Feast of Hanukkah was, was a celebration of that rededication. Now, if you can think theologically for a minute, the birth of Christ, God made man, is the ultimate rededication of the temple because the temple was the place where God dwelt among men. The glory of God was the dwelling place for the glory of God. And with, when the word is made flesh at Christmas, now the glory of God dwells in a person, Jesus Christ. As St. John says, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a correspondence theologically between that Hanukkah and Christmas, which is why it's always when people say, well, I, you know, some people get mad that they're selling Christmas. I, I think Hanukkah is a great feast. The only thing I always uh, object to the Hanukkah celebrations is they make little dreidels, which nobody knows what they mean. I, I wish they'd tell the story of Judas Maccabeus, the Maccabean revolt, and the real story. I'm all for that because it, 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 it provides the backdrop to understand the New Testament. But uh, they don't, alas. So the point I'm trying to make in this overview of Old Testament feast and fulfillment is that it leads into our calendar. The idea that, that the observance of time in terms of significant events in God's revelation that are rehearsed annually and experienced anew is not something the church made up. It was in you know, the creation and the revelation of the Old Testament. It's fulfilled in Christ, and our calendar celebrates these Old Testament feasts in the light of their fulfillment in Christ in an annual way. We celebrate the Eucharist the first day of the week, it's, it's the beginning of the new creation, which fulfills the Sabbath. We rest in Christ, we begin anew. Time begins and ends in Christ. Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the, he's, he, he, we meet Him on the first day and the eighth day. We have seasonal observances of major events of our redemption from Advent through Trinity. We celebrate the Feast of Leviticus in light of their fulfillment in the revelation of God and Christ. And that's what the seasons and days of Genesis 1.14 were made for. Now, the importance of this transcends just the fact that it makes sense, but also the reason God did this is we are to live our lives as Christians in space and time, experiencing time in light of the revelation. We don't live through winter, spring, summer, and fall, which have essentially well, agrarian to some degree, and, and in the worst degree, pagan connotations if you simply take them as seasonal things which point to some divination of nature. <clears throat> we live through Advent, during which we look for the coming of Christ. 
Christmas, which we celebrate his birth and incarnation. Epiphany, in which we focus on his revelation to us, the manifestation of Christ. Then after Epiphany, then we, we move on to Lent. We begin to look towards the cross and resurrection. Lent culminates in Holy Week. Holy Week and Easter, Christ rises from the dead. We have a season of Easter during which we reflect on, on Christ's resurrection. After the four days of Easter, Christ ascends into heaven on the Feast of Ascension, in accordance with the biblical pattern. Then, ten days after Ascension, we celebrate Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. A week after Pentecost, we celebrate the Feast of Trinity, which sums up the Christian revelation. There's one God revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ, uh, and, and made known to us through the Holy Spirit. And so there's three persons in one God. So in Advent through Trinity, we, we live through the Christian revelation. It sums up in that Trinitarian feast. Then we have a long Trinity season in which we focus on various general forms of teaching. And we cycle right back to the beginning of it. And this ties into our whole notion of reading the daily offices, following the lectionary, the colics and themes of the seasons, because as we live through life day by day, with the, praying the Psalms, reading the lessons that pertain to the seasons, meditating on these things year in and year out, our lives come to be formed by the revelation of God in Christ. And this pertains to what um, St. Paul talks about, about redeeming the time. There's also a, a term that was coined, the sanctification of time. We use the passage of time redemptively by, continu by continually rehearsing the, the, the events of our redemption in, in the very fabric of life and in the daily prayers and in the weekly gathering with the Eucharist and in various observances like the Lenten fast in which we abstain for a while to identify with the cross and then in Easter which we feast for a while to identify with the resurrection. Um, and the other thing about these feasts is, is, is not only do we read about or, or remember these things, but each year actually we, we experience them anew. Again, the, the Jewish idea of the feast was as, as, a, as the feasts were celebrated, each generation participated anew in, in the event. So each subsequent generation of, of Jewish people from the Exodus generation were linked to the Exodus by their observance of the Passover. And the rabbis said it was as, each, as if each subsequent generation that observed the Passover had themselves set their feet on the bottom of the Red Sea. This is the theology that undergirds the Eucharist. Do this in remembrance of me. We're not thinking about an absent Jesus. He, is, he comes among us to be present. We experience a new union with him in his death and his resurrection. And this whole theme, this whole teaching, I think applies to the whole of the church year. And, and the church year, another thing a church year does for us, it balances out our faith. That is to say, um, what, what themes govern the celebrations from Sunday to Sunday? This, this calendar, which covers in systematic fashion the whole of the Revelation, not what I may decide to, to do this, this week. I feel great 
sympathy for I, I, some, some, you know, I, I know some non-denominational read Baptist, um, you know, people in ministry, and they'll, they'll say, well, they have to get and have a, have a planning meeting, which is essentially together and plan what they're going to do on Sunday for the next, because, you know, so well, let's, let's do this book of the Bible. That, but, I mean, you have to choose what to preach on that, but I mean to say that for, for us in the calendar, you're not subject to what I may choose. The themes are there, and as you follow those themes through, you have a balanced presentation of faith every year. Every year, because of Advent, we're going to focus on the second coming of Jesus. Every year, because of Christmas, we're going to focus on the Incarnation. The Word was made flesh. Every year, because of Epiphany, we'll have themes of Revelation, Manifestation. Every year, because of Lent, we'll focus on the cross, or dying with Christ. Every year, because of Easter, we'll, we'll focus on the Resurrection. We'll remember the Ascension. We'll remember the coming of the Holy Spirit. We'll have the general themes of the Trinity season. And there's a balance in that that I think taken as a whole is often lacking when people make it up on the fly. So, so there's some of the, the points of, um, of, of the church year. Now, and, and of course the other thing about this as it ties in the daily prayer is that this is the transforming aspect of the Christian life, I believe. And, it's, and to understand, we talked about this, we talked about our sacramental way of life. We are not, we are not and nor do I believe the church ever particularly was, a phenomenon of the tent revival. And, and I'm, not, I'm, not opposed myself, I'm not opposed to evangelistic things, so don't get me wrong when I say this, but there have to be events that people are converted <clears throat> and, and brought to know Jesus Christ. But the primary way people are transformed in a lasting way <clears throat> is by what they do day in and day out over time. And so the, we have to be converted, so we're brought to faith. But what will actually change us into the image of Christ? It is that life of prayer lived consistently over time for about a decade. We'll start seeing that kind of change. And a lot of the lack of growth I've observed in some Christians who talk a lot about the conversion experience is that that's, that's what they had, and that's about all they had. They had the conversion came to know Jesus Christ, and that's about it. You know, you see them six years later, I'll still talk about the, the, the event of Billy Graham Crusade, which was a great thing, but it needed to lead into a structure of, of reading, discipleship, and, and discipline of, of, of following Christ. <clears throat> okay, turn the page. Let's, let's walk ourselves briefly through the church calendar, and, um, or not so brief. And if you have questions, feel free to interject here, because I'm going to talk through it and... Um, and uh, want to deal with any questions that might come up as we talk about them. I'll put you on tape with them. <clears throat> For each season, there's a name, a theme, a color, and, and, and some, some significant things to note. The church year begins in Advent. Advent is always four Sundays before Christmas. So find Christmas Day, count back four Sundays, and there's your first Sunday in Advent, or just by the Ordo calendar. Um, the theme of the season of Advent is a dual theme. The theme, we, we look for Christ's coming at Christmas, but you'll look in all the Advent lessons and colics, there's the theme of his coming at the end of time. And Advent has this, you know, we, the way he comes to us in humility in his birth over and against how he comes to us in glory at the end of time. And that's an important theme. A lot of traditions... Uh, and a lot of people like to downplay the second coming aspect. I, I thank God for the Book of Common Prayer, which does not do that, because it, it, every year it gives us that sense of 
of his coming in glory. As we say in the creed, he's coming in glory to judge the quick and the dead. So Advent focuses on the coming of Christ at Christmas and at the end of time. <clears throat> now, I should say here before I cycle through these colors that there are four, well, there are five colors we use. Four are pretty consistent. Two are, are, are at least in our use of them, occasional. The four that are somewhat common are there's violet or purple, there's red, there's white, and there's green. These are the seasonal colors that will be the vestments that, that the priest and deacons wear, and they'll also be some of hanging on pulpit or lectern. Some churches have an altar frontal in that color. <clears throat> Violet or purple is a color that symbolizes penitence and preparation. And incidentally, if you forget these things, um, open up your calendar the very back there, and there's notes on all these things, white, red, violet, green, and black. Um, so violet is a symbol of penitence and preparation. It's used during Advent and Lent primarily. <coughs> um, white is a color of color of trinity, color of purity, color of joy. If it's white, it's generally a feast of celebration. Christmas, Epiphany, Easter, Ascension. Pentecost is a joyous celebration, but it's red because red is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And red is also a symbol of blood. So here's the key distinction uh, between red and white when you have a saint's day. When you're celebrating a saint's day, that is somebody who's recognized as a saint on the calendar, his color will, or her color will either be red or white. If it is red, it means that saint died as a martyr. If it is white, it means that saint did not. So that, that's the distinction. For the, red, the, the saint who is in red, that red is the color of blood of his martyrdom. For white, it's the color of joy. Um, so we have white, we have red, the Holy Spirit and blood, violet, penitence and preparation. Green is the color of growth, and it's kind of the default color if there's no other color, if there's no feast. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a color for Trinity season, um, which, which comes um, after Easter, Ascension, Pentecost, then comes Trinity. The day of Trinity is white, the season is green. And it's the color of the Epiphany season. The Feast of Epiphany is white, and Epiphany, the white of Epiphany lasts for, for an octave or, or eight days, a day, and seven following. Then after that, it's green until we get to pre-Lent. Black is, is an occasional color. It's, it's, it's a color of mourning, and it's the color for Good Friday. Um, it, it's also actually color for Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, and um, uh, it says they're All Souls Day. It says funerals and requiems. We tend to, as a parish tradition, use violet or purple for, for funerals. So black is not invariably used. There's some distinction on that. Okay. <clears throat> so now let's walk our way through the feasts of the year and, and take a look at them um, in a chronological order. Advent, four Sundays before Christmas. Color is violet. Coming of Christ at Christmas, the end of time. That's the frets at the beginning of the year. <clears throat> Advent ends with Christmas, which is always December 25th. 
Um, we should note that Christmas and Epiphany are solar feasts. That means they're on specific calendar days. Christmas is always December 25th. And Epiphany is always January 6th. And the Epiphany season follows on there like that. But Easter and all the other feasts related to it are lunar feasts. Because Easter is not the same day every year. It depends upon the positioning of the moon. <clears throat> and that's why you'll have either, <clears throat> you, you, go, um, you go Christmas, Epiphany, and then Easter is out here, either later or earlier. If it's earlier, you'll have a shorter Epiphany season, but a longer Trinity season at the end. If Easter is later, you'll have a longer Epiphany season and a shorter Trinity season. Makes any sense. So there's that. <clears throat> the, the celebration of Christmas, the theme of Christmas, is the birth of the Son of God, the Incarnation. The primary thing to be focused on at Christmas is the mystery of God made man. It's not, as sometimes in our happier, clappier subculture, happy birthday Jesus. It's not when Jesus is 2,000 years old. It's the mystery of the Word made flesh. That's what we call the incarnation, which means enfleshed. The color is white. Christmas is a 12-day season that begins on December 25th and lasts through January 5th. We get away from that a little bit in our culture because everybody wants to move the whole Christmas celebration into Advent and then act as though when Christmas Day comes, it's all over. <clears throat> to get the true sense of the season, I, and, and spiritually just a lot more fun, is Advent is a season of preparation. We celebrate then on Christmas and, and enjoy the incarnation for a 12-day kind of feast. And we ought to, um, that's why Advent's appropriate, though it's not, it's never like, in the East it's a little bit different. The Orthodox churches observe Advent a little bit like they observe Lent. Westerners have trouble with that because you have so many Christmas parties and it just it doesn't work. But it's good during Advent to have some additional discipline of self-denial. I mean, you do something, you know, your party will turn off the radio. Or t do something that has a sense of preparation and then that, that goes into the joy of Christmas. Christmas is white. <clears throat> Following Christmas the, uh, is Epiphany, which is the manifestation of Christ, especially to the Gentiles and the person of the wise men, and then also his revelation in general as the Son of God. The Feast of Epiphany is also white on the feast and for the uh, octave. This term octave you should know about. Major feasts have octaves, that is, you celebrate them for the day of the feast and seven following days for a total of eight, hence the name octave, like you get in music. <clears throat> the theme of Epiphany, the meditation or an Epiphany, Christmas is on the Incarnation. Epiphany is about the revelation of Christ. And it, during Epiphany season, we tell people to reflect on how is Christ made known to us in the Scriptures? How's, how have we come to know Him in our own lives? It's the practical application of Christmas. Christ was born at Christmas. He's revealed and manifested during Epiphany. <clears throat> Epiphany gives way to pre-Lent. And we Anglicans are, are probably the, 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 one of the few Western Christian bodies that still observe pre-Lent. And I'm, I'm glad we do. There are three Sundays called Septuagesima, Sexagesima, and Quinquagesima. 
that give you a heads up that Lent's almost there. So it's not the penitential season yet. The color changes to the color of penitence and preparation. But, um, <clears throat> but we're not there yet, so you, but you prepare for it. It's like two and a half weeks to get ready for Lent to come. And I like that. Um, one of, the, one of the, the liturgical themes of pre-Lent, that happens with pre-Lent, though, is the Alleluia from the, the chants. Um, the last Sunday after Epiphany is the last Sunday in which you'll hear any Alleluias in church until Easter Day. So the penitential theme of pre-Lent and Lent is highlighted by that. And you hear Alleluias again on, on, on Easter Day. Pre-Lent ends with Shrove Tuesday, which is the party before the fast, and then we have Lent proper, which focuses on the cross and penitence. Lent is 40 days, not including Sundays, so it's 46 total days. It begins on Ash Wednesday, which is a black day, and if you're able, the two complete days of fasting on the church calendar are Ash Wednesday and Good Friday in which we, those who are able ought to fast from all day until sundown. Lent, what's that? Good Friday, which is Good Friday, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Um, Lent ends with Holy Week, which has um, four specific days of observation. Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday, which we have a palm procession around the church. We commemorate Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Then we commemorate the last events in his life, Maundy Thursday, the Last Supper, and the foot washing, and the betrayal. Maundy Thursday liturgy. No, it does not. It, 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 it comes to a... The see, well, the, 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 it comes to an end. These are the final days of Lent. Holy Week is the, is the climax of Lent. Good Friday is the, is the commemoration of the crucifixion. There's a special Good Friday liturgy for that. It's a black day. And Easter even is the beginning of, of the celebration of resurrection. There's a special liturgy of the lighting of the new fire, lighting of the Paschal candle, and... Um, the, the beginning of the celebration of resurrection and the color trans, transitions from violet to white. <clears throat> Easter day is the celebration of resurrection. It's a white day and it begins a 40-day season. We should remember that just as you know, people have the sense that Christmas is one day and you're done, Easter, Lent is 40 days of preparation for Easter. Easter is 40 days of celebration of the fact of resurrection. It follows the biblical, the biblical chronology that 40 days after Easter, according to Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended into heaven. So, the Feast of Ascension is the 40th day after Easter, which is always a Thursday. And it celebrates the Ascension, as described in Acts 1. <clears throat> Ten days after Ascension, again following the biblical chronology, because the Feast of Pentecost was 50 days after Christ's resurrection. The Holy Spirit came. We celebrate Pentecost. The color is red for the tongues of fire, and the events are described in Acts chapter 2. A week after Pentecost, we have the Feast of the Trinity, 
which, which is the only feast day that celebrates a doctrine, the doctrine that God is eternally one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Trinity is white for the day and green for the season. That is a thumbnail sketch of the church calendar. And uh, we can talk a little bit about them and look at the calendar here uh, and if you have any questions about that. But I'll stop the recording here.